think I can stand up here for an hour and a half. Uh, so seriously, if I get close to an hour, raise your hand, okay? <laughs> but uh, now, anyway, I discovered a few weeks ago when I played uh, pickleball, when you get my age, you got to start playing stuff like that, that uh, I have a torn MCL. And if I, if I stand a long time in one place, I have to rock back and forth. So anyway, I'm going to sit down if that's all right with y'all. Uh, tonight, our lesson is uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, uh, titled uh, David the Sinner. And uh, when Adam asked me to speak, I'll be honest, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, thrilled about the title of tonight's lesson. It's not an easy one to talk about. Uh, but uh, anyway, um uh, give you a little background on David, which we've been talking about. Uh, David, known, of course, uh, as a man after God's own heart, but he was not a man without sin. Uh, he became king uh, around age 30, I believe. He reigned for 40 years, and uh, at that time, he died relatively at a young age of uh, 70, which at that time would be young, and the older I get, I guess now, that would be kind of young now as well. So God gave David wisdom. He gave him courage. Uh, he gave him skill to overcome grievances that kept the 12 tribes of Israel apart. But his remarkable achievement was to bring them together and unite them as one people. It took years, but by God's grace, he was successful. Early on, only one tribe accepted uh, David is king, and that was the tribe of Judah. Uh, but eventually, all the tribes of Israel came together and anointed him king. So David, he brought the ark to Jerusalem. He, he was given great promises from God. Uh, and in chapter 12, you'll see that after all God gave him, he says, I would have given you even more. Uh, David was sub, uh, subdued the enemies that oppressed God's people. He even showed kindness to Saul's crippled son by bringing him into his house uh, and feeding him at his own table. So at this time, God's people were united, their enemies were subdued, and they were brought into the best years they had ever known. So if only David's life had ended there, but it, but it didn't. So that brings us to 2 Samuel chapter 11. So if y'all bear with me, it's 27 verses. I'm going to read it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break it up. I'm going to read 1 through 5 first, and then we'll talk about it, uh, and then we'll go from there. So this will give you an idea of the story, again, if you haven't read it in a while. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone out to find out about her. The man said she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, he slept with her. And she went back home, the woman conceived, and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So one evening, 
David's laying in his bed and decides to get up and walk around on the roof uh, of the palace. And he notices a beautiful woman bathing. He becomes infatuated with her so much that he wants to know who it is. So he sends someone to find out who it is. He finds out it's Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Eliam, and she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of his mighty soldiers. What does he do? He sends someone to get her. They bring her to the palace. They sleep together, and by God's providence, she becomes pregnant. She sends word back to David that she is pregnant. Verse 6. David sent this word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, Haven't you just come from the military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day and tomorrow, and I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants, and he did not go home. So soon David falls into a deeper sin in an effort to conceal what he's done. So he comes up with a couple of plans. First plan is, is he sends word to Joab to bring David home in hopes. Uh, he tells him to go wash his feet in hopes that he will go home and be with his wife so that he will think that Bathsheba is his child. But Uriah does not go home. So then he comes up with another plan. He tells Uriah to stay there that day and the next. He invites him over to the palace. Uh, invites him to eat and he gets him drunk again in hopes that he will go home to his house and be with his wife but he doesn't he sleeps at the palace door so David finally is going to come up with another plan verse 14 in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it to Uriah in it he wrote Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then with, withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up, and he may ask you, 
Why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Amalek? Didn't the woman drop an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then you say to him, Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger sent out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had sent him to say. And the messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab, Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. So David's first two attempts to conceal this didn't work, but his last attempt, so he sends word with Uriah to Joab on what to do in the battle. So he places him at the fiercest part where he knew the defenders would be the strongest. He didn't do it exactly how David instructed because some of the other men uh, did die as well. But uh, Uriah does die and word comes back to David. He, he knows that Uriah is dead and they give word to Bathsheba that her husband has died. So David allows her to mourn for a little while and what does he do? He brings her into the palace and she becomes his wife. So before I get to chapter 12, well, I'm going to read 10 verses of chapter 12, but I tried to find some, I guess, information on how old Bathsheba was. And I couldn't it doesn't really say how old Bathsheba was. Uh, Deuteronomy 24.5 talks about uh, when a man goes to war, he had to be married at least a year. She had to be married at least a year. And I think you had to be tw at least 20 to go to war. Most women at that, at that time were married by the time they were 18, and some were younger. They were considered old if they were married, if they weren't married by the time they were 18. So with all that said, Bathsheba is thought to be 20-ish. 20, early 20s, somewhere in there. David is in his 50s. He's a, he's a middle-aged guy. He's in the last 20 years of his life. So... Chapter 12, I'm going to read uh, 10 verses of this. Uh, the Lord, so here's Lord, the Lord's response to David. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. 
Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and if this had not had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. So God sent Nathan to David. He did not want David to remain in sin. So Nathan tells him a story. He tells him a parable about a rich man and a poor man and a traveler coming into town to see the rich man. So instead, and the rich man is going to feed him. So instead of taking one of his own sheep or cattle or lambs, he takes the poor man's, one that is one and only. It was like a family member to him. So David assumes the story is real. And he burns with anger. And he says, this man must die for what he's done. But Nathan then drops the bomb on David and tells him, you are the man, David. You are the one that has done this. He reminds David of all his goodness that God has shown to him, and he asks him, why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? So by God's grace, David is enabled to see what he has done. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. And then he goes on to make one of the most heartfelt repentances in Scripture. Uh, our Sunday morning class is studying Psalms. This is Psalms 51. Uh, I'm going to read a portion, a portion of that. It has some very familiar verses in here that we sing as a song uh, sometimes. Uh, Psalms 51 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. 
Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from, from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will treat, teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are my God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. So David was a great king, great man, man after God's own heart, but he was also human, and he was a sinner, capable of being enticed, capable of being tempted. But deep down he longed to do God's will, and he grieved when he was confronted with it. He sinned greatly, but he repented greatly. So what's some things that we might can learn uh, from this story? Um, and some things came out in our class a couple of weeks ago that I remembered that uh, one thing that Debbie Terry had said is that, uh, you know, as uh, Christians, we might tend to categorize sin sometimes. David, we would think, committed some major sins here. We would call them major, adultery and murder. But God uh, doesn't, he doesn't categorize sin. To him, sin is sin. Um, another thing to think about when I talked about their ages, uh, you know, when you get older, David was a middle-aged man. It's hard for me to say that because I'm a middle-aged guy. Uh, and just because you get older doesn't mean that your temptations are going to stop. Uh, things that might tempt you now, you know, maybe in your 20s, things that tempted you then don't tempt you now, or vice versa. Things that tempt you may not tempt me, but just because you're older doesn't mean that temptations stop, because they don't. Um, God's grace is shown to those who truly repent. So when David was confronted by Nathan, what does he do? He confesses. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. That was in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. And then David then declares, the Lord, I'm sorry, Nathan told David, your sin has been taken away from you. You will not die. So at that time, God set aside uh, the punishment for murderers and adulterers. Le uh, Leviticus 20 and 10 and then 24, 17 talks about uh, murderers and adulterers would be put to death. So God spared David's life uh, and his throne was not taken away from him. Uh, God reconciled David to himself. David in Psalms 32, 1 and 2 he wrote, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. So David is forgiven. His life is spared. He does not lose his throne. But 
forgiven sin still has consequences. The first child with Bathsheba uh, was not allowed to live. So the child was born, I think it lived about a week. God struck it with an illness. David was fasting during this time, but the child was not allowed to live. God also told David, the sword shall never depart from your house. So God shattered the peace and stability that David has spent a lifetime establishing. He says, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. So the shameful sin that David engaged in secretly was practiced openly by his sons. God knew that we needed a more worthy king. David was a great leader, great king, but he was also a man capable of sin. His good qualities as a man after God's own heart point ahead to Christ. His fall uh, into sin reminds us that we need a more worthy king, and that's Jesus, a flawless, sinful leader who was tempted, who was tested, but he did not fall. Therefore, he had no sin to cover up. David, a man after God's own heart, but a man not without sin. God knew that. He knew we needed a more worthy king, and he gave us Jesus. Hope this has been helpful to you. That's all I got tonight. Thank you all. We're going to sing number six.